Memorable Monsters is the ultimate 5th edition monster resource. 50 versatile monsters and NPCs for your stories, brought to you by the best-selling authors at Crit Academy. From an ancient, powerful dragon who seeks to subjugate the kingdoms around its lair, to once-powerful wizards who flew too close to the sun and are now cursed. Fill your world with unique and memorable creatures that your players will be talking about for years to come. From fun and whimsical to forlorn and intriguing, bring your world to life with these monsters and NPCs. Each monster will include a plethora of examples for weaving them into your campaigns with fully fleshed-out detail. Monsters are more than just stat blocks. Help bring this project to life, become a backer on Kickstarter today, and share with your friends on social media. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ryan. This podcast was created to provide our heroes with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Thanks for joining us today at the Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like a wizard without a spellbook. Today on our episode, you're going to learn a little bit about us at the Crit Academy, in addition to getting started and our special segment on unearthed tips and tricks. We give you creative content for players and DMs alike, ranging from character concepts to unique encounters. Whether you're a veteran player or a new player, right? Absolutely. We decided to do this podcast because, you know, I find that while there's a lot of podcasts on gameplay... There's not so much on character building or how to even run a game if you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah, you can pick up the book and read it, but that could that could take a while. Right. You know, if you want to get started right away, this is a quick way to do it. Just listen to a couple episodes and boom, you're on your way, at exactly. least with a general idea right. of that. In the last year and a half or so, we went to 5th uh, edition. When I first played it, there was no mat. There was just me, my level one pre-made character, <laughs> warrior, or fighter, right. and uh, there wasn't a whole, there, I was kind of annoyed, there wasn't really anything on this sheet. I had second wind, I think. You know, I didn't really have anything. I was like, well, this seems like it was going to be boring compared to, to fifth edition, or fourth edition, where I had these cool powers, you know. By the end of it, I realized that uh, you didn't need all that stuff, because my DM said, you know describe your action what right. is your character don't just say you're attacking how are you attacking how are you getting in there are you going up in there and beating them with the blunt end of your bill right. or are you going to jump off that building and hope that you spear him into the ground you know right after doing that i realized that i remember each of those engagements better than any of the tactical stuff i did in fourth edition and that's when i decided to make the switch right well for me i actually i've been playing D D for Probably about a year and a half, so probably I probably started just after you made the switch to 5th edition. Personally, and this, this, this really leads into one of the reasons why I like, I really um, am behind the idea of this podcast is, I, I've known about D&D my whole life. My dad, when he was younger, he played D&D. Yeah. And when I was a sophomore or junior in high school, I wanted to start playing D&D, but I didn't know any people that played 
or anywhere around here that I could go to play. Right. Um, I went up to um, a game store up in Flint, and they sold D&D books and minis and dice, but they didn't have any D&D nights or anything like that. So I was like, well, I guess I just don't get to play D&D then until I eventually find some people that play or are willing to play, because most of my friends weren't interested in it. Right, right. I had one friend that was interested in it. D&D has always been one of those like th- things known as the... the the thing that the super right. nerds play. Yeah, I already get looked down on enough when I tell people I play World of Warcraft. And when I tell them I play Dungeons and Dragons, it's just a whole other level. Not, you know what? World of Warcraft is just like any other drug. It's not your fault. <laughs> um, and so for that, you know, I eventually uh, happened just to find um, Game Store and Clio that had a and d night. And so I went to that, and that was my first introduction to D&D. I went there, and... Kind of was just given a little pre-made character. I got a little uh, halfling rogue and didn't really know how to play or how to do anything. And I had a guy that was sitting next to me. Actually, it was you that was sitting it next to me. It was me, wasn't it? That was just like, um, you can do this, you can do this. And I guess the biggest thing draw for it was that you, I could do anything I wanted to do. Or you could you attempt know? to do anything well, yeah, you wanted yeah, to do. Yeah. Make that clear to our new players in yeah. the audience. You can attempt. Yeah, so if I'm sitting here and, you know, there's a a group of bad guys in front of him, like, um, I want to try to climb up in the tree and run across the tree line and then jump down onto him. Well, you can try. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes it great. Exactly. Um, this is, D&D is my first tabletop RPG I ever played, uh, or D&D 5th edition, I should clarify. Um, I've played, obviously, a lot of, like, video games my whole life and role-playing games in that sense, but no tabletop games before uh D&D. and i differ i i never got to play fourth edition but i kind of wish i had because i do really like the grid and i i do like that because i it, it's just a difference in opinion between the two of us right yeah because yeah, i prefer theater of the mind while you prefer right the tactical well, and grid. it's funny because you like the theater of the mind because it makes it more immersive but for me the grid almost makes it more immersive and and there's nothing exactly. wrong with and one way or the other people, right yeah and and I know that some DMs will try to cater to that to, to exactly. some extent, and some won't. Right. I've worked really hard to try to include that in our games. Um, well, and I understand that in our game, I'm, I think the only person that really. Or I guess we have no, one other. Player. I think Co- I think Cody yeah. really. Uh, yeah, he, he also prefers. Yeah. yeah, the grid, but that's two of us, not even half the party. Right. So you can't really expect it to be catered to us when. Right, the other but I, really... I do, and this is actually something that I I that you guys like that enough that it gives me an opportunity to do something that I can't do in the theater of the mind, which is build far more complex encounters. Right. Which I've got some stuff planned for when we switch back to uh, a custom world as opposed to running the books. So, <laughs> uh, Our podcast here at Crit Academy, the name came from the idea of trying to teach and uh, mentor every one of our heroes out there. All of Crit Nation. We want them all to be able to walk away, listen to our podcast, and have learned something. Exactly. Whether it's that it's okay to like Fourth Edition, or it's okay to like Pathfinder, or you know, we're we're gonna try to we're we're gonna it's gonna be pretty heavy Fifth Edition influenced, but I'm gonna say most of our content will be system agnostic. Well, because for the most part, the system that you're playing is just a means to an end. Right. You're doing the same thing. You're just using a different medium. There are rule differences between, you know, D&D 5th Edition and Pathfinder, but a lot of the ideas and concepts that you can 
use to create a character in Pathfinder, right. you can if they don't necessarily fit within the rules of D and D Fifth Edition, you can bend the rules and make your own homebrew rules to make them fit. And you can create things yourself. That's what's wonderful about D and D is it's so open ended. If you don't find something in the rules that allows you to do what you want to do. You can make your own rules. Right. And, and obviously that revolves around being able to work with whoever the DM is at exactly. the time specifically. Because some of the DMs have their own ideas for the rules right. where they say, hey, no, you can't do this. Or, hey, this is allowed because this makes sense in the world that I've built right. for you. Well, and there are terabytes of information on the internet of just homebrew, homebrew classes and races. and Right. You know, you just type in, go to Google, type in D&D 5th Edition homebrew and pages and pages and pages of different websites that just have all these different homebrew rules and and to me that's one of the big pulls of it and i like its simplicity for getting new players in like to pull somebody new into D D three five or or pathfinder it takes a lot of learning and education with fifth edition i can give you a character sheet here's the one ability you can do right at level one learn it master it don't exactly. die right <laughs> Um, so it makes bringing in a whole new crowd easier, which is the goal of this podcast as well, right? Right. We want people who have thought about trying it, but haven't been able to have the nudge forward that they need to do that. Right. Um, which brings us to the subject of our second segment is what is D and D and how the hell do I play it? Right. Well, to start D and D is a role-playing game that's set in an imaginary world. Uh, the game's designed for you to use your imagination to go out on an epic adventure set in either a long-forgotten land, sometimes set in a modern land, some crazy alternate dimension fantasy land. It allows you to go somewhere where you can't really go. Right, or, you know, some campaigns even do allow you to, like, allow you to play in modern cities. You know, I've played... Yeah. yeah I, well, I haven't personally played, but I have seen D&D homebrew campaigns that take place in, like, Chicago. Yeah, and, you know, and, and and that's what right. makes it so great is that you can do those things. And, yeah, it's a form of make-believe, but it also is a huge uh, social exp- experience. It right. allows you to sit around a table with a bunch of your friends or people you don't know and have laughs, have good, enjoyable experience. I think – and, you know, it also comes down to, you know, it's a way to make friends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we met – at a game store, right? right? Doing an Adventures League thing. And I think that's my greatest experience with it is I've made so many friends because I've met different people that play D&D. And I think that's why I think it's one of the best experiences you can do. I mean, but the the ultimate goal is to band together with a group of your friends and see what happens. Right. The DM has set a challenge in front of you. You have to overcome it. And, you know, it's about where do you go? How do you get there? And, how many goblins do you slaughter on the way there, <laughs> right. you know? Um, it's all determined by the player. And the choice that the players have is really what makes D&D such a unique experience. Let's talk about how it's a little bit different than other games, right? Right. In video games, you have content that's been created and put in front of you, and that's it. Yeah. You, you can't walk through and dig through a hole through that mountain and see, make a tunnel there. There has to be a predetermined tunnel there, right? Right, yeah. And d- d- go ahead. Oh, I was saying, yeah, once you reach the end of the content in that game... You're either done or you have to wait for the next tier of content to come out. Whereas in Dungeons and Dragons, there isn't really an end of the content. I mean, yeah, your campaign could end, but for the most part, it, it can keep going indefinitely. Yeah, it can be as short as one single session, or it can be as long as an entire campaign. Some of these campaigns last a few days, last a few weeks, they last years. Right. 
You know, we got friends who started campaigns that I'm still waiting in town for my quest. Right. <laughs> you know, three, four years ago. The uh, the limitations are really just your imagination and the creativity of the DM and your stats, right? Right. I mean, you can want to shoot down the moon, but no matter how many times you fire that arrow, it's not going to hit it, you know. But other than that, there's really, if you want to run and leap off that balcony and grab on to swing from that chandelier or slide down that staircase to catch the enemy on the end, you, you know, you can try all that stuff. Right. And there's, name one video game that has it where you can interact with any object. You can turn and say, I want to talk to that guy over there. And then it's not going to be a scripted, rehearsed thing. It's going to be a live DM on the other side of that, making a conscious decision to answer your questions based on what that character would know. Exactly. And that, yeah, that's really the thing that sets D&D apart from a video game. I, I always go to say other video games, but D&D's not a video game. Oh, definitely not. It's... It doesn't feel like a video game. It doesn't play like a video game. Um, that's just the easiest comparison to draw is to a video game because it's in the same realm as a video game. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. Um, we're going to spin directions here and talk about well, what does it take to play D&D? Yep. Surprisingly, <laughs> not that much. And it really doesn't cost you anything either. Yeah. I mean, if you really think about it, you need players, right? Uh, a typical group consists of four to five players and one DM, but you can do it as little as one DM and another player. Um, now you that can go as large as a DM and 12 players. Yeah, or, which, by the way, I don't recommend because it really slows, slows the game down to a crawl. To do, but but you, that's a good example, actually. If you had a group that big, you can say, okay, we, if we get another DM, we can split it into two groups. Right. And you can even alternate between the DMs, or they one guy can one one run one module, and the other one can run his own module, or they can be somehow tied together. You know, I've been in ventures like that where we've been right. split into two groups, where while we're simultaneously doing one, or while we're doing one thing, the other group is simultaneously doing the other thing, and we saw the effects of what that group was doing right. because every hour that we would take breaks, and the DMs would talk about what happened so when you came back they'd say that you look off in the distance and you see this giant mage tower crumble to dust and it turns out that that other group is responsible for that right and so that's always an interesting experience so you need uh, a couple heroes adventurers you know we they, we call them player characters yep. pcs for short you need a dungeon master now this person's got the bit, little bit of a workload compared to the rest <laughs> um can be quite difficult but I'll tell you what, it's in my opinion, it's definitely one of the most rewarding aspects of the game. Right. Yeah, because essentially as the dungeon master, your job is to not only, you know, give the the players their goal, but to create the world that their goal is in. Right. To create the world, the cities, the people that all of your characters are going to interact in and with. Your heroes are in a city and it's run by a local feudal lord. You know, you have to decide what is that feudal lord doing. Is he a peaceful war lord? Right. Is he a wrathful, a vengeful one? Is he pretends to be super wealthy but is broke as shit? I mean, does he take advantage of the people? Like, you know, what Sheriff, is, of, Sheriff Nottingham. of Nottingham. Thank you. I just had a brain fart. But, you know, he, you decide all those things as the DM. And what's really interesting, though, if you allow it, your players can add those touches to the world as well right so it allowed for an interesting story to tell so you need an adventure now whether this is created by the dm or there's published adventures that other people have written 
Wizard has uh, free content you can download and right. use. Most of that stuff is just small samples of their books. To but... get you to buy the big one. Right, right. But, yeah. It's worth it. If you play through, let's say you do some of the free content for, you know, Elemental Evil. That'll then lead into, hey, we really like this. Let's keep going. You can go right. buy the book. You yeah. can support the company. And there's a lot of material in those books. Right. And as Well, the... yeah, we've been in our game running through Horde of the Dragon Queen. And how many weeks would you say we are into this? 12 or 13 sessions in. And we're, you said, like two-thirds of the way through the book? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, uh, so, we're just coming up to the castle right now. Yeah. So, you know, that's, like I said, 12 or 13 weeks. And we're two-thirds of the way through the book. So you, if we're two thirds of the way, so twelve weeks, that would mean eighteen weeks of content this is giving us. And we usually play. Sometimes three. we have shorter sessions, but usually it's like four hours. Yeah, it's anywhere between three and four hours. Yeah. I think one time it was two and a half. Yeah, I think we've also gone to five. Yeah. The other thing that goes with that though is, it, the speed of the game also determined is determined by you know not only the the, <clears throat> the adventure but what the team's doing. Exactly. If your group decides to not head towards that burning building that you've put out in front of them. Instead, they go over here to go shopping. <laughs> You're going to spend some time doing right. some of that stuff. And as long as that's what the group wants to do, your team wants to do, there's nothing wrong with that. Right, yeah, there's no... And I'm sure we'll get into this later um, in a future episode, but there's no need to what is called railroad your party. As the DM, you have, you know, you're going to build encounters that you want them to come, like, run into, but sometimes they're not going to, and at the end of the day, the game is meant to have fun and to for the players to do what they want to do. For those of you in uh, Crit Nation that don't know what railroading is, it's when the DM determines the start, the middle, and the end, and you are taking a train ride. You're not actually there for the cooperative story. You're actually there to follow whatever they've put yeah, out for you. It's more like a, like a, a linear video game where you're just right. following a storyline, can't really deviate from it. Now... That's not necessarily a bad thing. There are some players that just prefer that. They want you right. to tell your story and they want to go through, and then there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's just because of uh, the personal preference. But one thing I've learned is that you can also you can al- almost get some players resentful because they don't have choice. Right. So you want to be careful of that. But in a module, your freedom is can be restricted a little bit, especially if you're a new person because you don't know what to do outside of that. Right. Um, and so I think in most cases, the newer players would be accepting of that. Hey, you know what? We're just going to follow this till we understand the rules and the mechanics, right. and then we'll open up freedom. But little tidbit, I'll give you guys an early uh, preview of some of our tips of our podcast, is that sometimes it's good for the DM to have a little bit extra prepared. Yep. I call it my in case shit because you never know in case shit's going to happen. You need to have something prepared and you just make a small little sample of uh, encounters that whether it's a puzzle encounter, a social encounter or a combat encounter just to the side in case they decide to not follow the, the end of the tunnel. Yeah, When I was DMing a game at my school, um, we got to they got to the city and I didn't know once they got to the city what they were going to do. So I had to build the whole city. I couldn't just, you know, okay, well, I know when they get to the city, they're going to go to, you know, this shop, and they're going to talk to this dude, and they're going to go. I did, I had no idea what they were going to do, so I had to build, like, the whole city. And that's one way to approach it. Right. Um, and definitely that makes it feel more flushed out. Sometimes it's just let them, okay, figure out where they want to go. There's generators and stuff you can get that help right. with that stuff. That's another uh, subject for another time. But there's ways to handle those if you're not good and quick on your feet. Um, things you can do about it. So moving on, you need dice. Yeah. 
These are, quote-unquote, your weapons of mass destruction. These are the things that determine your fate. What makes D&D so fantastic is that you can, while you can attempt many, many things, your stats, your character, your race all determine your odds of success right. in addition to the luck of the draw. Yep. Sometimes that perfect skywalk champion who can walk that tightrope, sometimes they just slip. Right. It happens. And the dice give you that success or failure rate. And so, but you're going to need some of these. They're polyhedron dice. I don't know. Is that polyhedron? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Using big words now. Uh, I'm not used to it, man. You know, I'm a dumb oaf. Sometimes uh-huh. I like to use big words to sound photosynthesis. Oh, yeah. You know what? Me too. <laughs> um, these are really important. Now, not everyone needs their own dice. If necessary, you can pool and share them together. Right. But awesome. it definitely, definitely makes it a lot easier if you got your own. You can pick them up for what? Like three to five bucks? Yeah. Um, a, I bought a, a pound of dice off of Amazon for $20. We will put that in the show notes and you can click that link. But they're not they're not all that expensive. Right. Um, character sheets. Um, if you buy the books, it comes with one in the back in the player's handbook and you can scan it. But let's be honest, who does that anymore? Right. Wizards of their Coast actually has uh, printable PDFs on their website for you to edit. We'll have a copy of that in the show notes for you. And then your other tools of your belt. Utility belt. Your, thank you. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> um, the other parts of your utility belt are your pencil and paper. Yep. Absolutely. I cannot tell you the value of writing shit down. Yeah. Um, you know, when you come, if you get into a city and, you know, your DM tells you, okay, there's a uh, town's ruled by this noble named Adric. He's very particular on people remembering his name he referred to him as adric you might get upset and he might not talk to you if none of you guys write his name down are you gonna remember it yeah that can be a direct insult to somebody exactly especially if you mispronounce it that's one thing that if you really you can really play off as the dm when people walk up to uh meet somebody and they mispronounce it i mean you're, you're spot on the, the dm could then react accordingly it just small things like that. Just an example of why taking notes is useful. How about what your goal is? Yeah, or if yeah. <laughs> I hate, as a DM, I will tell you how much I hate. What are we doing again? Yeah, because or it feels like even I if a lot of players, if you're a, if you're a player like me that who also enjoys DMing, you've read through the monster manual and so you know a lot of the abilities that a lot of different monsters have. Oh yeah, how's that working out for you? If yeah, if you're a player that doesn't and you might not even own a monster manual you probably don't know what a lot of these things do so you know if you're in which is fantastic by the way yeah when they don't know much better which we actually have a dm tip for that by the way if you come across an umber hulk let's say and you learn okay when i'm fighting this umber hulk i can't look it in the eye because i'll get petrified so i want to like avoid or uh, uh, advert my eye or advert my gaze what's an umber hulk it's a creature. Maybe not all Crit Nation knows that. Yeah, well, an Umber Hulk is a creature in the Monster Manual. I can't really... Remember uh, what it looks like? Yeah, no, It's I a can't. big, giant beast, yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I know it's really big it's and not. Ugly. It's not cute like Medusa, by yeah, the way. Yeah, they live underground. They come out and they eat people and shit. Yeah, um, see, there you go. Okay, see, now they know. <laughs> right. They didn't and, know that before. It could have been a little tiny, like, yeah. lizard thing. You yeah, know? and Who a big knows? part of that creature... I mean, it's called a Hulk. So? I call my unit <laughs> the Hulk all the time. <laughs> Doesn't mean nothing. <laughs> and, um... So yeah, one a big characteristic about them is that their gaze is petrifying, so you'll turn to stone if they look you in the eye. Um, well, you have a chance to resist it, but obviously. And Oh, obviously. Yeah. So if you you know make note of that, okay, so Umber Hulks don't look them in the eye. 
and a year and a half later, you're in a, that same campaign, and you come across an or a similar campaign. Hopefully, you're not running the same thing all the time. Well, I'm saying same campaign for a reason because now your character countered one of these before and now knows that information. Don't want to look this creature in the eye because that's assuming you don't turn to stone and die first. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> then they're done that. Yeah. Um, and that's something, the reason I say in that same campaign and your character is because there is a thing called metagaming, where is, which is where you use your knowledge, knowledge as a player to influence the decisions that your character makes, which is really hard not to do. It is really hard to pretend like you don't know something that you do know. Right. Um, but that's part of the game. And, and learning to mitigate that is pretty critical, especially exactly. uh, for the DM when he's trying to make up a combat scenarios. Like me specifically, I don't know if you notice, I don't use the names anymore. I don't say what the monster is called. Right. Because I want to be able to give you a brief description. And then if I think you know it or you've seen it before, I'll tell you as a player. Right. You know what this is and you know its weakness or whatever. But for the most part... Most of the adventures, especially starting at level one, they haven't seen an Umber Hulk. They probably don't know what the hell it is. They definitely didn't probably not seen a devil. They've seen kobolds right. and shit, so you know stuff about those. But you know what displacer beast, and your your players don't know that. So when you're Roper. describing, when you're describing a beast, you don't have to use its name. You know, right. you, you want that mystery. You want to, you want your characters to discover that stuff. And that writing that stuff down is a good way to remember that stuff. Right. Well, and generally, if uh, I have players that are encountering a specific type of creature for the i don't want to say beast because a beast is a very specific type of creature yeah and i keep saying that um so if they are encountering if they're encountering a creature for the first time you know i won't use the name right away so i if they're some people do and there's nothing wrong with that either just right so if they're fighting an invisible stalker which is another creature that's in the dmg they're if you couldn't tell they're invisible no Didn't and, see that. Uh, so, you know, I don't start off by telling, okay, so yeah, two invisible stalkers appear. Like, no, okay, all of a sudden, you just get thrown into the wall. And there's a little shimmer of light as it happens. Okay, I attack the shimmer. And then, either during the combat or at the end of the combat, if there's a character that I think would have a knowledge about this type of creature, so that's a magical creature. So if there's like a sorcerer or a wizard in the group that has, you know... A, high arcana skill i would say okay you make an arcana check see if you recognize this creature recover some lore or something right and then if they if they succeed okay well you remember you know in this old book you were reading a couple years ago you read about something that seems seems familiar or seems similar to what you just encountered just a a creature that are used primarily as a uh, contracted assassins that are invisible and they're known as invisible stalkers etc etc give them that information if they succeed on the check. If they don't succeed, oh no, it's kind of weird. It was invisible and you were getting hit by air. <laughs> it's an airbender. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so writing stuff down is pretty important, uh, whether it's backstory or quest notes or NPC names, rewards that you're expecting, you know, all that stuff is very important. So pen and paper, most powerful tools in your arsenal next right. to your dice. Absolutely. Kind of thing I wanted to talk about, the D&D Starter Kit. If you're willing to invest a few dollars for 20 bucks, you can get the D&D Starter Kit. It comes with, in my opinion, the best module that they've written so far. Does it? Uh, yes. Lost Minds of Fandelver is a great module. It's a great introduction to the game. It comes with some pre-generated characters. It comes with some dice. It comes with a DMG guide, yeah. like a small rule yeah, book and everything. Yeah, it doesn't come with the full books, but it comes with right. little but packets. But it, com- it comes with little packets that give you the information you Enough, need. right. And for me, I bought it even though I had all the other material because... I wanted the module. 
I was hearing such rave reviews about how great Lost Minds of Fendelver were, and they were right. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It had enough freedom that I could still uh, run my players through it and let them make their own decisions and go off the path a little bit. Right. It had a massive amount of side quests. That was really cool. Does it? How uh, long yeah. is the module? Uh, for us, I think we did four sessions. Really? Yeah. Oh, so, I figured. Well, they're like three-hour, four-hour sessions. Right. So. But my my you you know our group we digress right. quite a bit. Right. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of stuff that it adds that you don't need to do to get through it. But uh, it's very cool. I do recommend it. Um, and you can find it in our show notes. I guess the last thing you need to play is a place to play. Which oh yeah, we didn't even talk kind of, about yeah, that. I which is kind of underestimated. Um, which is, like I said, you know, the main thing that stopped me from playing D&D for a long time was I didn't have a place or a means to play it. Um, and, you know, now I have found that there are a lot of very effective ways to play D&D. Um, first would be to look in your area for a game store. Not a game store like GameStop or Disc Replay, but a game store like a tabletop game store. So around here we have Gamer Sanctuary, we have Riders Hobby, and we have Archangel Games. I think Free plugs. Yeah, I think those are the three. I don't know. That's if the only ones one. I know of. Yeah. But I, I, go, I was going to Archangel Games for a while. Right. Yeah, while, and that is the but... one that I met Justin at. And that would be your first step is to find a store around you that does that. Now, that being said, of those three stores, only one of them hosts D and D games. So just because you find a game store near you doesn't necessarily mean they'll have D and D games. Um, you can also just you know if you get like the D and D starter pack, or just buy yourself a player handbook and a DMG. You can play with your friends. You know, yes. you guys just Invite jump over right in, some beers if you're old enough. Right, yeah, if, if you're old enough. <laughs> uh, sink or swim, just try to figure it out and see how it goes. And the third option is, you know, if you go to... If well, hopefully student, if they're listening to us, they've got floaties on and we'll float. And yeah. Sink. <laughs> um, and if you're a student, you know, I go to... I'm a, I'm a college student and my college has a tabletop games club. I don't miss those days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my college has a tabletop games club that I've gone to quite a few times and... Uh, it's really cool. You know, it's a good way to meet new people that you might not otherwise meet. Um, cause I mean, that's what college is all about is making connections and meeting yeah, people. Yeah. And misconnections and, too, huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, it's just finding people with a common interest and you go and you hang out and, you know, just learn to play D and D. Oh, so yeah, there are a couple ways we play, you know, just here at Justin's house and, just here at my house. Yeah, <laughs> it's not just here at my house. This is the place to be. Yeah, well, yeah, that's I didn't mean it like that. Yeah, we just play. Uh, we play at Justin's house, you know. And, and there are also means to play D and D online. Yes, uh, I'm going to specifically recommend Roll Twenty. Yes, exactly. Uh, it is the place to be if you want to play online and meet other people. Yep, there's a virtual tabletop, so you can create your own grids and maps, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, there actually will be a, an episode on online play, and we'll gotcha. be able to share more of that with you. Um, definitely check it out. Uh, the last thing we wanted to touch on for materials is Wizards has free sample kits you can download from their website. Yes, there'll be links in the show notes definitely check those out they're not complete they only give you the real basics you need but it's more than enough to try the game and get started with your friends a lot of stuff that you you can find through wizards they're, oh yeah they're a very good company when in terms of providing you with the information that you need moving on we're going to transition into uh the character creation we're going to talk about all the different subjects in character creation the impact that they have and our thoughts on the subject and you may agree with their thoughts you may not well we're right and you're wrong so uh deal with it 
Um, no, we definitely encourage listener feedback. Um, roast us if you want, whatever. Um, but we will be giving our opinions on each subject and try to uh, give you guidance to all our heroes and Crit Nation out there about how to go forward, what to do with each one. So character creation, the character sheet. It's really the heart and soul of D&D, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. Um, this is This is everything that your character is, everything they can do, everything they can't do. And everything about them. Um, and it can be a little overwhelming at first, but we're going to break it down pretty simple. Now, we're not going to show you step-by-step step which parts to fill out. You can find that on page 13 in the, the player's handbook. But we are going to go through each section and kind of talk a little bit about them and why they're important. Right. Now, the name. This seems pretty simple, right? I mean, a name is important, but there's some... Depending on the type of campaign you're running or the adventure, if you're just having a loose game and you're not a big deal, name, not, you know, big deal, whether you want to call him Bob or Dave or something like that, that's probably okay if you're doing a one-shot or something stupid right. like that. But, you know, every great hero needs a great name. Exactly. You know, Conan the Barbarian is much more intimidating than Dave. Oh, no, Dave's a pretty scary guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, great names are engaging and evocative you know whether it's you know thor or odin you know those those types of names i honestly personally like michael's name in our game a lot brotor brotor he has, he has that a is dwarf a named brotor that he just came up with it on the spot i thought my name in our campaign was pretty good but justin hates it i don't hate <laughs> it i just can't remember it <laughs> um but what yeah, is your name? Erdin. Crit Nation wants to know. You can't lead yeah. that way and then not say it. E-R-D-E-N. Yeah. Aragon. That's what I said. Yeah, Aladdin, right? Yes, Aladdin. Yeah, Aladdin. <laughs> I told you I had it. I'm right on the spot. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, there are a lot of... And then you can get uh, more creative. Like I, you know, a half-elf named Zanvalor or something like that. You know, play with... They are, and different races will have different sounding names, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, chapter 2, actually, in the races section, they do give you suggested exactly. names. If yeah, you, they do. If you can't think of your own, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're not going to have a... You know, <laughs> you might have a human named Dave, but you're not going to have a elf named Dave. Right. But, you know, great names... Are, your, your characters are going to be heroes, so you want them to have a name that's going to, A, either inspire fear, inspire heroism from others have a ring of power to it having the right name needs to have some sort of effect let me talk to you about uh a, a wizard i had and, and or and you know i put a lot of a lot of time into his name whitaker von elulume now i took a bunch of words from first i knew i wanted my character's nickname to be wit because he's a smart ass right so that so i named him whitaker and then I was like, well, what else can I do? Well, he's elf. So then I found some elvish words from Tolkien that kind of fit. I don't remember what they mean now, but they had something to do with right. that at some point. But I put a lot of thought into that. And now everyone knows that character, Wit, and his stupid owl pet, Albama. You know? And yeah, and that's a cool thing to do is to draw from things that you know. Like, okay, you went to Tolkien. You know, you, yes. you found something that in the elvish language that he wrote. You know, I've... I've literally played a character named Makoto, which is just a very generic name in Japan. You don't hear that in America, so when I say that... Sailor Jupiter's Makoto. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I say the word Makoto... I think. Uh, Sailor Moon fans are going to kill me now if I'm wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, when I say the name Makoto, it's... Okay, it sounds like a, a fantasy name. 
it to an American. Right. And the, it's likely you won't run into an NPC with something similar exactly. as well, which is good. I definitely recommend the suggestions in Chapter 2 if you can't uh, come up with your own. Uh, rolling a dice is a good way. Or random name generator on the internet. Yeah. They're everywhere. You can find well, one. Um, the uh, current Wizards of the Coast, like, 5th edition Dungeon Master screen actually has a name generator on it. There's like three Oh, yeah, columns. yeah, you were telling me yeah, about that. and you roll, I think, D10s, and you get random syllables. Put them together, and it makes a name. You know, I did it one time and got Osric, because uh, I rolled a blank on one of them and got OS and then R-I-K. And that gave me a name. It was I was doing it for a city. I was They were like, oh, what's the city called? I rolled two die, or three die. Um, Osric, uh, the city's called Osric's Bluff. And that's what the city was called. And players are none the wiser. Exactly, yeah. And when you start throwing people off that bluff as punishment, it becomes renowned. Right, yeah. Stop with the pop bottle. <laughs> Just make sure you put a little bit of tender love and care into your, your name. Well, and one more thing on names. I, it, you can also do a lot with how your character refers to himself. You know, there's a guy in our game who his character, you know, my character's name, full name is Airden Diamond Dude. I don't Nobody think, knows that in our group, yeah, by the way. I don't think I've ever used my last name. Nope, not a once. Because, well, and that's part of my, you know, I, my character's a rogue. He's very mysterious. He doesn't tell people a lot about himself. Which is why I can't get his name right. Because yeah. I'm not exactly sure if it's the right or not. <laughs> we have a ranger in our group whose full name is Aaron Fane. And mm-hmm. he always introduces himself as Aaron Fane. Aaron Fane, yep. Not Aaron, Aaron Fane. You know, so that's another big thing. I know a guy who played a character who is a half-orc fighter. That every time he did something... He would create a new title for himself, and then every time he introduced himself, he would read. He had a list of all the titles. That's awesome! Every time he introduced himself, he would read the entire list. Oh, like my name is no. whatever his name was. My name is Conan, destroyer of worlds, savior of damsels. Just and it was hilarious, and it was so much fun, and it was immersive because you know he his character's name meant something. Ability scores. This is the game mechanics way of expressing the capabilities of your character. To kind of give a general idea, uh, commoners have a raw stat of 10, typically. That's an average. That's the average. Some are a little smarter, some are a little bit better. You as heroes are, in most cases, exceptionally better. At some things. At some things, while being a failure at others. Exactly. But that's the trade-off, right? You can't be great at everything. What do they call those? Mary Sue's? Like Luke Skywalker, just everything's perfect, come perfect for him. Right. So there are six different ability scores. We have strength, which, how much can they lift? How high can they jump? Right, so a barbarian they... is going to be stronger than a bard. Well, it depends. Generally. Yeah, by base, yeah. you're basing it by class specifics, but sometimes that maybe that bard wants to go lift a few weights. Right. But really, strength comes down to, can that Goliath crush that gnome with his bare hands? Yes right. No. Yeah. Um, and that's really uh, so. That's a pretty basic one. It also affects things like your your damage and how hard you can swing a weapon. How you know how deep do you crush that goblin skull with your maul? You know. Right. Um, and then the next one is uh, you have dexterity. It's your nimbleness, right? Your ability to balance on a wire, to uh, aim, to, to be stealthy, to to hide. Yeah. Yeah. To use a what the game refers to as finesse weapons. You know, weapons that are less about brute strength and more about precision yeah precision and timing rather than power and speed uh you yeah. know uh if you want to be if you want to cheat in a card game you know and you're going to try to pawn a card hand, and slip yeah. it in yeah that all comes down to how dexterous your character is right 
Constitution. Now, this is my favorite one, and in the game, it doesn't get enough love. So Very actually, yeah. so what I do is I find other ways to encourage con con uh, checks. Con is your body's natural resistance, whether it's to poison or to weather, to damage in general, because it directly mm -hmm. correlates to your HP. Right? You get bonuses based on your Constitution modifiers. Um, I personally am big on temperature. When my players are in somewhere ice cold, I like to hey, you're going to have to make a con save because you've been out in the freezing cold for 10 right. hours. Your balls are frozen to your leg. There's snot running down your nose. Trying to find <clears> ways <throat> to use con, and I think that's probably the more benefit, yeah. but it's your ability to resist like poisons yeah. and stuff. Um, well, yeah, and then the next one's intelligence, which is... Well, okay, the next two are intelligence and wisdom, which can get kind of confused and mixed up. Intelligence is more of the knowledge that your character hasn't learned. How much you can remember. Yeah. Right? And wisdom is more of a gut feeling. Yeah. And in I feel like you're lying intuition. to me about that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if you're talking to someone and you're not sure, you can say, oh, can I, do I feel like he's telling me the truth? And your DM will tell you to roll an insight check, which is based off of your wisdom. Right. It's basically a wisdom check. And, uh. Maybe they don't know what a check is yet. We haven't gotten yeah, to that part we'll yet. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, though. we'll get there. Um, <laughs> whereas intelligence, you know, if you see something, you, you're in the you're in a cave and you see some cave drawings, and you're trying to figure out what they are, your intelligence would dictate whether or not you would recognize what kind of civilization these cave drawings came from. Right. Wisdom um, is your ability to perceive the world around you in different ways, mm -hmm. um, whether it's your sense of smell, sense of sight, that gut inner gut feeling. Um, it's probably, in my opinion, one of the most used ones because it's tied directly to your ability to perceive the world around you. And you're constantly being fed information from your DM about what's around you. You can say you're out in the middle of the woods and it's the moon is high up. So it casts a bit of light, uh, for you to see, you know, 60, 70 meters, maybe, um, you would then maybe perceive some rustling in the woods. Maybe it's just the wind. Maybe, Maybe it's, it's a giant bear to come right. eat your throat, you know. So that's a pretty good one. Charisma. This is a very interesting one. And I love this one because I don't have as much charisma as I would like. I'm working <laughs> on it, so my charisma goes really low. But being able to influence other people. Good example. The soldier, the gladiator in the middle of an arena who is in the middle of a fight putting on a show. That's charisma-based. When he's trying to influence the people, whether through words or through actions, a captain giving a big rallying speech before they enter combat, you know, that's all charisma-based. Or trying to extort someone on the side of the street for money. Or trying to extort somebody. <laughs> all those are based off charisma, your ability to influence others. Those are the, the six stats and ability scores that determine the capabilities of your characters. You're going to have some that you excel in. You're going to have some that you don't excel in. Right. The beauty of the game is, although some class dictate what your best stats should, best top two should be, you really get to choose. You could be a fighter and choose to have shitty strength. Right. You can decide that instead of being a brute force fighter, you're going to be a finesse weapon fighter. So right. instead you're going to use dexterity as your your big, you know primary stat and you're not really physically strong you know and there's nothing wrong with that may you decide that you're super strong you're like a bar like a traditional barbarian you're super strong but your intellect's not really quite there dumb <laughs> those characters just as an aside are fun to play <laughs> oh absolutely 
Ooh, bad guy, kill. Well, I remember, I believe you were DMing this game. I was playing a Goliath Barbarian who had, I believe, and this will play into something. Uh, there are different ways to get your ability scores, and one of them is by rolling. And the downside to rolling is that you can get very low ability scores. Very really low. high. Right. My Barbarian had an intelligence of four. <laughs> and so I was very... For those of you that don't understand, that is the same brain power as pudding. Right. Very, very stupid. And so we're at the inn, and the innkeeper says, you know what, uh, for you guys, for three nights, how about 15 silver? And my character <laughs> pulls this. him aside and goes, um, how about we negotiate that? How about I give you 20 silver for all three nights? And so... And I'm pretty sure that the innkeeper said... You got a deal. Right, yeah. And so, you know, my character, I go back to the group. I'm like, guys, you're going to be so proud of me. I haggled. And, you know, my character's super proud of himself because he thinks he did something good. You know, he'd seen the other guys in the group haggle before, and he wanted to do it too. <laughs> and you know what? They were all proud of him. Yeah, no. They hated me. But <laughs> well, I was proud. Yeah. But and so, it... yeah, playing characters with a flaw personally yeah playing characters with one really low stat i think it's a lot of fun like playing characters if you have a character that has really low charisma you get to purposely just be awkward i personally like to if i have a like if i'm playing a character that has a high intelligence purposely have low charisma oh you yeah. know have a character who's really smart but doesn't know how to convey his knowledge yeah and i think that's fun and you know some people though don't like having a character with low stats they feel like they're just those are min max not as useful Exactly. And, or, and that's not a bad way to play, New though. players, too, feel like they're not useful if they have a low stat. Right. You know, they're like, oh, I'm not good at this. You know, what if my group needs someone that's good at this? Now I'm not good at it and I'm hurting them. That's the one thing I love about 5th edition. Um, I noticed that the core class requirements that were at least in 4th edition aren't there. You right. had to have a, a leader, which is a healer. You had to have a tank. You had to have DPS. Right. It was like the Holy Trinity stuff. And I like that 5th edition doesn't require that as much. Right. It's definitely easier if you have that kind of group. Oh, absolutely. Right, right. But sometimes you got to take, you know, you got a group of three rogues. You know, that's going to be a whole different play style right. than a group with three wizards. Three rogues. That would be very high risk, high reward, you know, right. because of the way that rogues, which we'll get into, rogues' abilities work is if they get the drop on someone, they do a lot of damage right off the bat. Yeah. So if you get three rogues leading the drop on one guy, he's probably going to die. Yeah, yeah that, he's gone. by the way, those are very hard encounters to deal with as a DM, in my opinion. Yeah, because um, I've had that where we're at what at what point is it? Because I have to balance his HP, his you want to make the character strong enough damage. so that if they do get the jump on him, he still has a chance, but weak enough so that if they don't get the jump on him, he doesn't just like cut him in half. Right, and you don't want and you don't want to draw it to the point where you know the rogues don't feel like them they're being roguing is a, a disadvantage as right. well, you know. They get the jump, there needs to be the sense of, yeah, we're badass. <laughs> right. This guy didn't see it coming and you get to, you get a lot yeah. of that, but when that also comes down to player is maybe, you know, if you are a group of three rogues, maybe combat's not the best answer. You know, maybe you're better off trying to talk your way out of things or find some, you know, set traps or find some other way to get out around the situation yeah. as opposed to just going in and killing everybody. Right, like if you're, if you're trying to lure a, a you got to assassinate a king, you might be able to sneak to his bedchambers, but if you get into his room and there's 20 guards, 
Yeah. You might be able to get the jump on him, but it's very possible you're going to die in the right. process. So there's a lot that the DM can do with that. But uh, that's where, you know, stats really determine the play style of, and what your character's capable of. We talked uh, briefly about ability scores, doing rolling. There's a couple different ways to determine your stats. We've already talked briefly about rolling dice, and you can find those in the player's handbook. In the first chapter of the player's handbook? Yeah, page 13, um, I, I think. Yeah, 12 and 13 give you information on how to get your ability scores. There are three main ways. One of the most common ways is a standard array of ability scores, um, which gives you a 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8. Yes. Yes. I'm a big fan of the standard array because I think it's a nice, round, balanced um, build. Not only does it give you something to specialize in, but also by taking an 8, you also have a bit of a weakness, but not so much so that it's game-breaking. Right. And also, I like it because it helps mitigate power gaming. Which, nothing wrong with it uh, if you're okay with that, but I had, for a while there, I had a team that was big on min-maxing, where they, did, they didn't care what flaws they took, and they often didn't play to those flaws, so they just got the benefit of it. Right. Um, and I didn't really do well, really care Yeah, for that's that. a big thing, is if, you know, so my, per- my personal favorite is rolling, and the way I do it is you roll 4d6, and then you drop the lowest number. So if you roll... Two threes, yeah. If you roll two threes, a six and a one, okay, that roll was a twelve because you take three, three and six. That's twelve. You just get rid of that one. Right. So yeah, that does give you the option. You know, do the math. The maximum of eighteen, which is really high for a starting ability score. Oh yeah, especially in fifth edition. Yeah, those are really good numbers. Yeah, because the only way the max that you can actually increase your ability score to is twenty. Now, magic items and stuff can make that go higher, but you can only increase your ability scores. Oh, you're fine. Up to a maximum of twenty. So, but now the other the other side is if you roll four ones, well now you have a an ability score of three. Yeah. Which now and that's where you got that's where you <laughs> get into yeah whether or not the players play to that. Which and is that was the problem player. that I ran into, and in, well, this was specifically in fourth edition. And when we went to fifth edition, I changed to the standard array, array system. But I think it still gives enough of a spread to have a nice round character with some one special trait that they uh, excel in and one that they're not so much. Because even a minus one in intelligence means you know you're probably you're not going to be solving too many problems <laughs> with your brain. Right. Um, and then the other one that's in the book is you can is a point buy system where you start off with twenty seven points to spend on your ability scores, and each Ability score costs a different amount. So an 8 is free, so you can have an 8, and it costs 0 points, whereas a 15 costs 9 points. So you can have a 15, 15, 15, 8, 8, 8, or anything in between. Right. Um, and some people like that because that gives you I that gives you the most control over your ability. Most customization, exactly. Uh, so modifiers, uh, ability scores. So at 10 points, you get zero modifier. For every even number beyond that, you get an additional modifier. So modifiers are determined by the value of your ability score. So at 10, your modifier is zero. Zero. 11 to 12, it's one. 13 to 14 is two. Uh, 15 to 16 is three, so forth and so on. Uh, And going backwards. Two ability scores, you go up one. Right. And backwards the same way, you know. 9 to 8 is minus 1, and that's a negative effect. You know, right. 7 to 6 is minus 2, and that affects your ability score. So if you've got a, a minus, you know, 2 modifier to dexterity, you're 
probably pretty clumsy and slow. Right. You can find on, once again, you can find a chart on page 13 that actually talks about the modifiers and how to determine them. Page it's actually a lot. Yes, that's that's yeah. your character building page. I mean, those right. two pages there are really good, 14, 13 and 14. Well, and the way, the, mod, the the reason we say modifier is because, so if you were if you were to roll a, if you're to roll a strength check, the general way you do that, you roll a d20, which is a 20-sided die. If you roll a 13, and then you have a plus 4 to your strength, you add 4 to that number. So now your 13 turns into a 17. So that's where... Which increases your success rate, anything strength-related in that case. Exactly. So, and that's where a negative can you know, if you're, if you <laughs> roll something two. and you're really close to that DC, but you have a negative three, well, you probably just failed. Right. right. And that also lowers your chance to succeed, right? And right. so it's, it's important to understand how those work, but they're not as complex as you might think. Races. Chapter two. My favorite part of the book. Yeah. Yes. I love hearing the stories about the different races and how they <laughs> interact. A race is the physical nature of your character. Uh, whether it be human, halfling, gnome, tiefling, dragonborn, elf, you know, there's sub-races. Within elf, yeah, wood there elf, are wood elf, high drow, elf, and yeah. drow, which right, are right. dark elves. You know, within um, dwarves, you have mountain dwarves and hill dwarves. Within right. halflings, you have stout and lightfoot, the, which are all different, and they have their own... Their better at some things and worse at some right and, and that's and, and picking your race isn't something to take lightly um now some people will pick their race surely for optimization we go back to the power gamer and min max or we talked right. about earlier um for me i like the idea that, you know races are drawn from different myths and different legends and stuff you know everyone knows you know what a dwarf is everyone knows what an elf anybody that's played any games knows what most of those things are um each race has unique stats, unique abilities, unique proficiencies, things that they are good at that they specialize in. Right. And those are features you get when you pick them as your class. So we could go on and talk about every single race, but let's talk right. about what are, what are some of your favorites and why? My Well, it depends. Um, I like different ra- I think different races, for roleplay purposes, fit better with different classes. So if, I'm to pl- if I were playing a sorcerer, um, my general go-to race for a sorcerer is a half-elf. And the reason for that is because sorcerers, generally, they got their power some mysterious way. They don't know how. And so if you're a half-elf, it's a very easy to have an absentee parent mm-hmm. backstory there. So maybe it's a bit of laziness on my part. But <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. And, um, but I, I really like some of the strange classes for RP value. You know, if you're playing a dragonborn and you're just walking through town, people are going to... They're going to treat you different than a human. What's up with that guy? Yeah, you know, if you're a tiefling, which is... Almost like a demonic It's thing. kind of like a half-devil. Yeah. yeah, you are... In, they're not looked on in a positive way, or like a drow. Or well, a if you look like a demon, I wouldn't look at you with Exactly. Much, uh... People are very reserved with half-orcs and drow and tieflings and even dragonborn, depending on their color, because there are just negative connotations that follow those people right based on history of the world one of the big things that i think as a a player you can and you actually touched on a little bit there ryan that uh you know your interaction and role play with other npcs is a huge part of why you might pick something like me i like being a tiefling because i get a tail the millions of things you can do with a tail is 
for role play purposes is phenomenal. You right. know, whether it's smacking a wench on the ass with your tail or you're walking through a line slapping people in the face and making them uncomfortable just so you can, you know, they'll move or avoid you. Try pick I mean doing if your DM will let you get away with doing things, yeah, pickpocketing pick with yep. your your tail or tripping people with or, your yeah, tail. You know, if you're in a jail cell and you can see the key ring hung on the wall on yeah. the other side. Stick you know, your tail through and you know, if you have a four foot long tail, just <laughs> grab that hearing. And you know, a lot of that, uh, and that that kind of follows with a lot of different things. You know, with a with a high elf, elves require a lot of, I would say, respect. They they kind of expect it, right? Yeah. And even even humans think a little bit uh, high of elves. You know, they think that they're a little bit superior, and they they act as such. So when I play an elf, I always carry that. Listen, my friend. Let me tell you, you do not know what's best for you, but I, I do. I will take care of you. You have to trust in me. And they just kind of, they command that, right. that, that, that presence. Right. And now, then on like another side, like halflings are always very happy and they're very just <laughs> yeah, like happy are. go lucky and fun loving. And that's a, that's a fun class to play sometimes. Right, because it definitely I find that people who play uh, halflings and, and gnomes really break the uh, the seriousness tone sometimes. Right, they can you know you'll be in there with engaged with a a warlord who has been murdering you know all these innocent people and you'll be staring them down. And then the freaking bard halfling will bust out in the middle of a song, you know, right. and totally just break the entire tension. And, right. and I think that they're, whether it's a bard class or just the halfling race, they're really good at stuff like that. Right. And they bring that set of tone. So it's important to understand the race can affect the type of tone. Now, you're not limited to that by any stretch, um, but those are just traditional commonalities, right? Um, so when you're picking your class, think about how they physically look, how they interact with somebody maybe they're really really tall maybe they're like a seven foot human right maybe they're always bumping their heads on shit yeah because that's not something that you're held to you know if you want to have a human wizard that's just super fat you can oh yeah you, know, you can have your guy weigh 500 pounds if you want <laughs> he's got to be wrapped in a flying rug to be able to walk around <laughs> yeah exactly and <laughs> so, help you know, get around yeah and obviously you know if that's what your character is you're not going to be very good at running away, you know. And hopefully so. you would apply your stats accordingly too, right? right? Um, you know, humans have a set speed, but you could work with the DM, say, hey, uh, my guy's super, super fat, so I'd like to take a a, 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 shot, a cut to my speed, but is there any way we can make it up in some other way? Well, and that's a big my... thing is, you know, sometimes for role play and just fun purposes, it is better to, you know, give yourself a disadvantage Oh, right. You know, for example, Brotor that one time when... Oh, yes. I'm sure we'll get into this eventually, but there was this session where his character just failed at everything, and it yep. was... We eventually... have a house rule for weapon breaking. Yeah. So... Well, and it, 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 it like, bad things were starting to happen because of him failing, and it had taken a toll on him because he's a paladin, and so, like, he's all about good and justice, and bad things were happening because of him failing. Like crushing a young child's skull yeah. with his weapon. And so he... The player, Michael, said, you know, I want to take disadvantage on my attacks and ability checks now because I'm very distraught over what just happened. And I kind of looked at him like, yeah, because <laughs> most people won't do that. And right. I wasn't certainly going to force him on that. Right. But the fact that he took it, I mean, he got inspiration and some other stuff for that. And he really I think I gave him some bonus experience and everything right. because he took his character's. This is what my this is the oath that my character took. Well, I should never have done. Him, right. Yeah, I believe that this was wrong. Even though it was an accident, 
it was wrong and he fe- he threw away his weapon. Yeah. Because of when he crushed that poor innocent little girl's skull. Right. Should we tell him she was already dead? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so for other reasons she was stabbed to death by some kobolds or goblins. I don't remember what it was, kobolds. but you kept calling them goblins. You know what? Whatever, dude, shut up. <laughs> um and he went to attack one and rolled a natural one. Yep. And so the side effect was that after being beckoned by this father to save his daughter, who, by the way, was already dead, Brotor didn't care. He leapt into action. He drew his mighty, was it a mace? It was a battle axe. Bat- battle axe? You know, it was, a, it was he bludgeoned her to death. Yeah, so so it, was it, a, was a, it was a war hammer. Warhammer. Yeah. And he rolled a one. So not only did he miss the enemy, but he crushed this poor little girl's skull. Yeah, and Cobalt jumped off and jumped out of the way, <laughs> and he landed up. He still hit. <laughs> so, not what he wanted to. But, you know, taking disadvantages for your your character will add to the story. And you don't always have to, but thinking of ways to work with a DM to make those things happen, it always makes your character stand out from the rest. Like I played a blind wizard and it was funny because only one person, actually one of the players said, is your character blind? And yeah, yeah, it was you. (laughs) And he's, I'm like, I, that's a good question. (laughs) As far as you know, he's not. (laughs) But in fact, he was, and he used his familiar to see. Right. And I had already worked that all out with the DM, so he was. I was able to take. Um, I actually gained a few other benefits at the loss of my eyesight, right. which he said, you know, made sense. You know, and kind of treated it like toff. I had blind sense, ten foot. It's cool, blind sight. Oh wow. Ten foot. It was cool. <laughs> um, but he said most of the time I would need to rely on my familiar stats, right. which. Kind of sucked because most of my familiar stats sucked. Right. <laughs> His name was Obama, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, uh, moving on. Uh, the class. Yes. You want to take the lead on that? Sure. Um, a class. So while a race represents, you know, what your character's like lineage and heritage is, and you know what they look like. A class determines what your character has chosen to do with their life, and you know the profession for lack of a better word that they've um gone into so there are there are a bunch in the in the in fifth edition there's a barbarian there's a bard there are clerics druids fighters monks paladins this really determines what your your special features your combat techniques and, and any gifts that you might have actually are exactly yeah and so different classes are better at different things right if you're a fighter you know, character fighters are exceptional with martial kind of, skills. Yeah, like a generalized soldier warrior type class. You know, they're just they're very good at weapon with weapons, and they've trained their whole lives. Um, but fighter is a very vague class. There are a lot of different things that you can go into that. Yeah, there's several different that. archetypes with the fighter. Exactly, and then you know you have like a wizard, which is a spellcaster. You know, you're very physically weak generally. You know, you generally don't have a lot of hit points. You're pretty easy to hit. Term term used often is squishy. Or glass cannon. Glass cannon's another good one. Because they do a lot of damage, but if you hit them, who sucks to be that guy? Right. Because, yeah. Now, they they can... So, you've got, you know... Things like the fighters who often are engaged in frontline combat and wizards who are able to manipulate, you know, enemies' minds or freeze them in place or 
um, maybe just blow them to hell. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, they have all this power. It's like uh, like an Aladdin, the genie. They got unlimited cosmic power. Right. Itty bitty little health pool. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing is there aren't really like, there's no like tank healer damage. You know, every class does damage. Yes. You know, there are classes that can heal. Like I think it's druids, paladins, and clerics, right? Rangers. Paladins. Oh, yeah, rangers can get, like, healing. Well, I guess bards can, too. Bards, too. The main that can, like, specialize in healing are, like, druids, clerics, and paladins. And, uh, right? Because rangers can get, like, cure wounds, but they only get, like, one or two spell slots. Right, but they can still, even at high levels, they can use higher yeah, level spell slots. I don't think they'll, they will never be as effective as those. Right, yeah, that's ones, what I was, but, but, you know, even if, if you're a paladin, even if you aren't, like, specializing in healing, you still do a lot of damage. You're still well, a strong class. Re- yeah, relative to some of the classes, but right. you know, so it's, it's not, not definitely not a striker yeah, you class. You don't ne- necessarily have to choose. Of course, I'm pretty sure with Smite, uh, Paladin can do the most DPR. So classes are pretty important, and we'll, we'll end up doing episodes on each class, and we'll do in-depth descriptions, right. and and we'll talk about all the classes in greater detail and what we like about them, what we don't, uh, best ways to optimize them, because we want to be able to give you the tools you need to go and either melt faces or slit throats or just crush somebody under your mighty maw. Right. <laughs> Special uh, mechanical features of the game, some things that are pretty important, you know, hit points. Hit di- hit points and hit dice. This is something that confused the hell out of yeah. a lot of people. Hit points are your whole life, right? You got 20 hit points, that means 20 hit points, you go unconscious. Hit dice, you gain a hit dice for every level that you level. And it's a healing mechanic. Yes, so... It's your natural ability to recover. Yes. So at level one, if you're a fighter, you got one d10 hit die. Yes. Which means you your maximum hit points is that hit die, which is ten, plus your con modifier. So if it's two, then it would be ten plus two, so twelve at level one. So when you hit level two, you get to add another d10. So you have two d10 hit dice. Right. That means when you take a short rest, you can spend up to that to recover your health. So you roll a d10, and then you add your constitution modifier. So if in the same situation, your constitution modifier is two, you roll a d10, you get a seven, you just gained nine hit points. Right, and that's, that's really important because uh, you can run out. When you take yeah. long rest, you can only recover half your hit dice. Right. So if you rely half on your maximum, maximum, yes. yes. Thank you for clearing that. Yes. Half of your maximum hit dice, which means if you're spending them too much, you struggle to. Because you can take multiple short rests within a long between long rests. Right. Yeah. Because... Well, a short rest is a one hour of recuperating, whether you're sitting down reading a book or just taking a breather. Right. And a long rest is eight hours, I think. Right. Yeah. Sleeping for the night usually. Yeah, usually yeah. taking a nap. Um. And recovering. Um, so when you start to do multiple consecutive battles and you're consuming a lot of your body's innate ability to recover, it can be a bit of a problem. Right. So if you're fifth level and you know, you fight and you get a little hurt, so you take a a short rest and you use three of your hit die and then you get into another battle and you get hurt again. So you take a short rest and you use the other two and then go through the rest of the day and you go to sleep at the end of the day. You gain half of your hit die and... Is it rounded down or rounded up? Most things are usually rounded down. I want to say that too. Unless they're bad things, then they're usually rounded up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, you would gain two of your hit die back. And so that can be, you know, you want to be kind of strategic in the way that you utilize them. So after your hit die and your hit points, you have specific skill proficiencies. Now, there are 
a number of skills. Um, <laughs> Our notes literally say shit you can use. <laughs> right. Uh, so just to name the various skills in the game, there are acrobatics, animal handling, arcana, athletics, deception, history, insight, intimidation, investigation, medicine, nature, perception, performance, persuasion, religion, sleight of hand, stealth, and survival. Now, each one of these skills is based off of one of your core ability scores. So acrobatics and stealth are based off of your dexterity, while athletics is based off of your strength, and intimidation and persuasion are based off of your uh, charisma. So th when we say if you make a check, these are the things we're referring to. So yeah, usually the to... DM is calling, okay, you walk into a room and across the way there's a – in the middle of the room, there's a pedestal. On the other side of the pedestal, on the opposite end wall, there is a door. A player might go, I want to go try to open the door. It's locked. I'm going to pick the lock because I'm a rogue. Give me a... Slate of hand check. Or a thieves tools check. Yeah. yeah which usually is will be the same as it'll your be your, It'll hand, be but... your dex plus your proficiency because you're trained with that tool. Right. Um, I think we often refer to it as a sleight of hand. Yeah, um, just kind of... By habit, yeah, I, that's not really but the way it it's technically to work, is not a sleight of hand. It's check. dex plus proficiency, right? But, Which is um, usually sleight of hand. Most rogues will take, take their sleight proficiency in sleight of hand, but um, some don't. I think that with you being a rogue, I think that's something you've done. But uh, yes. anyway, so and then he'll a target DC is set by the DM. Is this really hard to pick? Is this a a little tiny bicycle lock or is this something that's supposed to keep a vault shut, you know? Right. That determines the difficulty class in terms in terms of mechanics how difficult it is to pick. If I set the number to 20, it's probably going to be really really hard if his bonus is 5. That means he needs to hit a 15 or higher on his dice to beat it. Which you have a 75 or you have a 25% chance of doing. Is that right? There's a 75% chance of failure, yeah. yeah. So that's quite difficult. And um, DC is stands for difficulty class. Difficulty class. Okay. Yeah. Which means, you know, if the DC is 18, means you, when you roll your total just has to be 18 or higher. Meet meet or beat 18. In order to succeed. Um, after your skills, you have saving throws, which represent your character's innate ability to resist certain threats and usually in response to some kind of effect. Uh, there are examples of them in the player's handbook on page 179. Uh, for instance, if you are hanging from the edge of a bridge, you've... Your fighter has just been thrown overboard. He was choked and tossed overboard, and he gets an opportunity to try to catch the edge to save himself. Right. That would be an example of a saving throw. He's trying to literally save himself. Right. So in this case, it would be a dexterity saving throw for him to latch on, be quick enough to latch onto the side. So then the DM would say, okay, how hard would that be? He'll pick a DC. Then the player would then roll a dexterity saving throw to try to catch it. And maybe he succeeds, maybe he fails. If he fails, right. he's in some shit because he's going to fall a long way, hopefully. Yeah, and there are I a mean, lot of... I mean, potentially. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. I don't ever put giant chasms under bridges. <laughs> there are a lot of spells and effects in the game that will impose saving throws. You know, if you get poisoned, generally you'll make a constitution save against yep, your body a DC based on how strong the poison is. Mm-hmm. In order to resist the effects, you know, there are a lot of a lot of AOE spells. AOE meaning area of effect. So like fireball affects like a how big of a radius? 
big, big radius. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. have a dex. You have a chance to make a dexterity save in order to avoid some of the damage. Basically, your ability to jump out of the way as this right. explosion. Imagine, uh, was it? Uh... Some movie where something explodes and somebody's jumping away. Any movie. An action movie? Any movie. Yeah, I can't think of a single one. Can you? Oh, no, 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 no. You put me on the spot. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, all right. For instance, Fireball has a 20-foot radius. That's huge. Yeah, radius, not diameter. <laughs> so it's a 40-foot diameter. All right. For those of you that didn't pass elementary math, um, a <laughs> radius is half the size of a circle. Right. From the center to so the means outer where edge. it lands, it rip, it affects twenty feet in every direction, which is a lot. It <laughs> also includes your allies. Right. So throw fireballs with care. Be people. careful, right? Or don't be careful. You know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> be don't one like of, that be teammate. One, be one of those people. Sorry, like I didn't see you there. <laughs> right. Um, um, then each class also comes with each class has its own generic equipment that it will start with. You know, as a fighter, you can start with a sword and a shield if you want. You can start with a big two-handed great sword, um, two one-handed swords. Uh, there are a lot of different ways you or different types of equipment that you can use, and each class has its own specific types that it can start with. Um, so, for example, if I'm on the rogue page, you can start with a a rapier or a short sword. You get to choose between one of those two. Then you get a short bow with 20 arrows or another short sword. You get to choose between a burglar's pack, dungeoneer's pack, or an explorer's pack. And then you also get leather armor, two daggers, and thieves tools. Now you can get, if you don't like the equipment that you start with, you can always replace it, you know. You can choose find, to buy your own. Yeah, buy some at a store, take them off of a slain enemy. Mm -hmm. um, Talk to your DM. There's ways to start with a certain amount of gold and you can buy your own. Right. Um, but this is a really good way. Uh, it starts off with some options that are already are going to distinguish you between the guy next to exactly. you at level one. Right. We both might pick rangers, but I might be dual wielding <clears throat> short swords while you're carrying a longbow and right. arrows. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And so that's a good way to kind of differentiate yourself right from the beginning. And then in the class section in the, of the player's handbook, there are a lot of other features and information that tell you what point you can acquire features and you know what you can do with them right and you'll learn those as you level up um but it's pretty basic at level one um, right if you're following one of the pre-generated characters they have all that information already in there yes as well as a race in a class you also get to pick a background for your character which yes i love describes background. where they came from you this know, where is they my grew up. favorite addition yeah. to D&D. &D. yep and you know there are a couple. You know there's criminal, guild artisan, folk right. hero. To give sailor. you a, give you an idea, backgrounds used to be something that you just had as flavor in most cases, right? Or maybe it was a special skill and you had it as a knowledge in some of the previous ones. They actually your RP now has a functional advantage. For instance, if you're soldier background you get this special feature that allows you to directly interact with other soldiers and get benefits from it. Like, for instance, right. if you were a captain in the local guard and you go and you can leverage that on the guards that are at the outside the guarding uh, the entrance to the city, like, hey, how you fellas doing today? I'm Captain Leopold. Oh, yeah, we, we know who you are, sir. Well, I'm going to have to ask you to uh, just not mention that I was here today. Um, these are my friends. We're going in, just keeping on. You can your characters can le leverage that. I think the folk hero one allows you to take cover 
in any in the local town if you're you're the folk hero of this village and anybody can will hide you from the like the authorities or criminals and they'll take you into their home you know right little things like that are just phenomenal these are often things that they did before taking to becoming adventurers as well yes so they get special traits whether it's uh, was the criminal one gives you like uh, sleight of hand and stealth maybe uh, deception and stealth right. um, so, as well as uh, a type of gaming set right so you could you could so you could ideally you could be a wizard who was a criminal right. so you are not just you know got the traditional advantages of being a wizard but now you've got some of the subtlety of a rogue right. without actually having a multi class which yes. is a whole episode on its own. Uh, it's very cool stuff. Definitely put some thought in it. There is places in the book to create your own background. Is that in the DMG or the player's handbook? Create your own background? I think it's in the DMG. I think it's in the DMG too. Pretty sure. Yeah, but yeah, it's pretty easy to do. It's just all comes down to what your DM is willing to let you do. Yes. Because, you know, when you do create your own background, and that's not the same as a backstory. You can create a backstory being anything you want. Right. But when you create your character's background, you're giving your character bonuses and proficiencies and extra features that you have to make sure your DM is okay with you having. Right. So maybe that fisherman uh, fished for most of his life and ended up becoming a sailor or something. Right. So your backstory might be you grew up in a small fishing town and you were one of the best local fishermen and, you know, the military called and you ended up going off and becoming a sailor and now you've got bonuses to those and actually some dms will let you leverage even the the fisher, fisherman thing right. hey we need food well there's a local pond well i'm an excellent fisherman so right can i exactly can i get catch enough food for us stuff like that so per character progression as you uh slay goblins and save kidnap princesses or assassinate evil dudes or just going on a diplomatic mission to uh resolve a peace treaty right you're going to earn experience that allows you to progress now that is determined often by your DM, uh, the experience that you earn. It value depends on the job that you did. Yes. Slaying absolutely. a titan is going to yield more experience than slaying a room full of goblins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, generally the amount of experience you get or receive is directly related to not only the difficulty of what you did, but the gravity behind what you've done. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, early on when you're just a town hero, you're defending from raiders and, and muggers and, you know, maybe the sadistic-ass uh, feudal lord. But right. the amount of experience those yield isn't going to be nothing compared to slaying a cloud giant. Um, but as you start to take on those little quests, you'll earn experience, which will push you to a pinnacle where you level up and your character has now learned new new skills, whether it's a new spell or a new... Uh, combat feature or right. move. It's pretty basic mechanic in most games. Yeah, the, yeah, the character level is a very basic mechanic. Uh, generally, you start at level one, no experience, and then as you go, you... Not will... limited to that, though, just so yes. you know. Um, yeah, exactly. There are, there are you know modules you can buy that are meant for characters of specific levels. We ran one not too long ago that was meant for 12th level characters. That was so, fun. Yeah, you guys created 12th level characters, and we ran through that. I think you guys actually created 13th level because yeah, we, we were short we were on people. Short people but, yeah, um, yeah you can, you're not limited to starting at level 1. Generally, if you're thinking of doing a like long-reaching campaign, you'll start at level 1 um, just so that you can get that full amount of character progression. Right. Um, but yeah. Uh, one thing I'd like to touch on when you're leveling up, 
find a reason why your character learned the thing he did. Right. Um, for instance, with a uh, with a fighter, you know, when you're playing uh, a fighter and you get to choose your martial, mar let's say you're just going from level one to level two. Well, when you hit level two, you learn action surge, which allows you to push yourself beyond your, you know, your normal limits and allows you to take an additional action. So maybe instead of just saying, oh, I learned how to swing my sword twice. You know, while we were in that town, I observed some of the other sword masters there and I picked up a few uh, forms that allowed me to easily and much more smoothly swing my blade right. in, in a stance that allowed me to quickly attack in succession, you know. Coming up with a reason why your character learned those, in my opinion, is also amazing for character development. And that's something that I like to... Uh, like multiclassing is something we'll get into later, but when a character wants to multiclass, I make them find someone to teach oh, absolutely. them that other skill. Learn. You don't just level up and all of a sudden, oh, I know rogue abilities now. <laughs> I just learned how to pick locks. Right. How? <laughs> after, killing that, after killing that warthog. <laughs> right. How? Like, where did you get the, that skill from? Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, and it's all, everything almost in D&D &D comes down to just, you know, adding flavor and making it more creative and more of a unique experience for you, your other players, and your DM. Right, right. Um, yeah, then you have your proficiency bonus, which is... This is a new mechanic, and yeah. I, honestly, I have to say I love it. Uh, they go by this thing called bounded accuracy. Proficiency is a way to represent your skills as you progress yes. without necessarily increasing all the other values. So at level one through four, it's just a plus two. So anything you're trained in that you've selected you get to add that proficiency, whether it's attacking, whether it's doing a skill check, whether it's a, you know, a saving throw, whatever it is you're proficient in, you get to add this. And this value scales as you level. Yes. Which, um, up to plus six at level 20. Which is huge. Yeah. Considering you're still limited to what? 20 is your upper limit of your stats. Right. So you're talking that with... Yeah, so let's say you have a 20 strength and you make an athletics check and you're trained in athletics. If you're level 20, that's plus 11 to your roll. Right. That is a large number. Yeah, especially with the bounded accuracy system. So what it allows you to do, it gives – this system allows for a level – a max level fighter to still be overrun and killed by a swarm of goblins. Right. Because no longer are you so high-level indestructible that a goblin can't hurt you. It's – they can hurt you. It's just unlikely that they're going to hit you. Right. But they, if they do hit you, they still are going to stab you for 1d6 plus their strength. I right. Mean, and no matter how strong you are, that's still a real danger. Exactly. Which also means opportunity for the players. In fact, we had an incident the other day where my players came across a very powerful wizard. They've came across this wizard numerous times. They've seen him uh, expand to, to un crazy amounts of power. But then one random guy just decides to try to stab him and he succeeded and, and he almost killed him and almost killed him. Not because he was so powerful, but because of the bounded accuracy system allowed him a chance to still hit this guy. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like, this was a guy that we were all purposely not messing with because like, <laughs> we cannot touch this guy. This guy oh, will yeah. destroy us. He was a fireball in MAGE, man. Yeah. And then this guy just jumps off a roof and stabs him with a lance. And we're like, uh, what are you doing? And and he did roll really well, though. Yeah, I mean, he did. I think he hit like 22, and that was that meet the shield. Of, yeah. Because he did cast shield and attempt to defend himself, but he met the, the, the AC perfectly. Right. And, and that's the system's designed to allow for that. And because he's a wizard, he didn't really have a whole lot of health 
Um, but proficiency allows you to increase your chance to succeed at whether it's attacking, hiding, picking a lock, what have you. Right. So that shows natural progression as you advance in your class. Character descriptions, ideals, bonds, and flaws. Yeah. I which, love this. Yeah, we kind of got into character description a bit of, like, what does your character look like, you know? Mm-hmm. What does he think? How does he feel about certain things? But, yeah, with ideals, bonds, and flaws, you know, ideals, what is your – and bonds, really. What does your character hold dear? Like, what yep. is important to them? What are they – As the DM, you can use this for evil. <laughs> yeah. What well, you can really use for evil is their flaw. Yeah. You know, if you have a character whose flaw is, you know, they have a long lost son and then guess who the main bad guy is? Yeah, or who the main bad guy finds and takes hostage. Oh, yes, yeah, I love it. Yeah, anything like that. We had an incident with one player who was actually playing one of the pre-generated characters, it was the rogue who had a family that was part of uh that had dealt with the red brands and had an aunt and that was part of his bond right. I think. And so, guess who got taken hostage? Right, exactly. And that really fit because now that character, that player's character was directly tied to what was going on and was forced into action and doing things he wouldn't normally do because he had to save her. Right. For example, in our current campaign, my character's bond <laughs> is that his when he was young, his home was destroyed by dragons and he, you know, he was left like scarred and disfigured. And now because of that, he's like, his whole life is about getting revenge on, you know, dragons for destroying their home. So every time he sees anything that resembles a dragon, he just goes into like a blind rage. Like I almost died. Not the rage mechanic of the barbarian, but just a I almost died in our first session. (laughs) Yeah, you did. I saw a group of drakes and just went off running. Not dragons, by the way. Yeah, drakes. Drakes. (laughs) And I thought my group would follow me. Only one of them did, <laughs> and so I I came very close to dying because but I was I was playing my character. And so then, if yeah, I would I think have died, you got awarded for that too. Yeah, if I were to have died, I wouldn't have been too upset because you know I was doing what my character would have done in that situation. Um, and so yeah, those things are very good, are very helpful in role playing your character when you know you know this is what my character thinks. So if this is if I'm in this situation. Knowing how my character feels about it, what would he do? And then you can make that decision based on your the things that you have written right on your character sheet. And, and as a DM, we kind of just kind of harken back to that. You can use that as leverage to create a scenario. Right. I've done that where I've gone through my character sheets. That's why I ask that they all upload them online so right. that I can see them. So when I want need to create a, a story because maybe only two people show up or something, I've got something in the hold. Okay, I've got this person with me. Here's a story I can tie right together, and it fits this person's background and their ideal or their flaw you know maybe their flaws are super greedy and they want everything well, now there's some guys after them that they 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 managed to get a little too greedy and took their money and now they're chasing them you know right so you can leverage that to build encounters for your players and when you tailor that stuff to your players they love that stuff right at least i do okay so m- moving forward uh yeah. equipment um i kind of want to touch on this a little bit you're kind of okay. your class your class and your uh Background kind of give you starting equipment. But the thing I want to focus on isn't so much the gear that you get, but the things that you can get um, outside of that. Gotcha. Okay. Ball bearings, um, so grappling hooks, torches, alchemic, uh, alchemist fire. Yeah, you know, there's a, huge, there's a full page of a chart of just random things that you can buy in, from generic. There's weapons. so many uses for these things that everyone else can. Some people consider, 
useless. I have to say how many times I've had people outrun bad guys because of ball bearings. Right. As they're leaping through a door, they slam it behind them and drop ball bearings. Right. They got to make a save, you know, and or maybe they're they buy the, the manacles instead of use rope as a way to bind creatures because you can break a rope relatively easy, right. especially if you but got a blade handcuffed. Then. But if they're handcuffed, there's not a whole hell of a lot you can do. Or maybe you don't want that. You want to interrogate that guy, but you don't want him to risk him getting away. So if you manacle him to a bar, right. he ain't going, he ain't yeah, going exactly. nowhere. You know, there's a massive list of things and finding creative ways to use those things. I cannot encourage that enough. Exactly. We are now moving to our third segment. This is my, my, honestly is one of my favorite segments. I think that uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Our, uh, we call it our Unearth Tips and Tricks. This is where we bring you a few concepts that are reusable material that you can fit into any of your games at any time um, and hopefully are system agnostic that it doesn't matter which gameplay you're playing. Our first one is the character concept. So this is actually a character concept that Justin came up with. And it's an elf druid who is ridiculously old um, and doesn't even really remember how old he is because at one point he just kind of realized it was pointless to keep counting. Becoming senile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not, yeah. maybe it's not even he just stopped counting. Maybe he just actually can't remember. Right. Um, you know, he, <laughs> Either one works. Right, yeah. And so he's kind of an old man, so you can be kind of campy and silly with it. And, you know, call dragon, ancient dragons young whippersnappers. <laughs> and, you know, people who... Been and, around, uh, he's, you know, he's been around for a long time. And whether it's an NPC or a character PC, it could be really interesting to to play that guy who he's been around so long that most people just know him as the senile old man, but then he starts spouting off random stuff, you know. Uh, how about telling people how he doesn't get enough credit for creating that shillelagh spell that all them damn druids are using? Right, because that kind of character is so fun to run into in the world. Oh, yeah. So it's a whole different dynamic when you have that kind of unique character in your party. I think that an idea behind somebody who's been long-lived, because I think that's something that gets overlooked as a player. You yeah. might pick a dwarf who make him 400 years old, but you don't play him as such. Right. You know, you don't start reminiscing about the good old days. I remember before you guys were even here. Before this, right, exactly. I remember when they built this town. This town's like 300 years old. Well, I was there. I right, saw it. Exactly. You know? I think for those ideas, those add an interesting dynamic to the play. Especially if you need help, they know where everything is. Right. Of course, they're going to give you the classic. They're not going to give you a map. They're going to say, well, you have to go down to the old river and you got to hang a left. You're going to go down past the big redwood tree. Right. And that stuff might not be there anymore. About 20 miles <laughs> as the crow flies. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to head those directions and that shit hasn't been there for like 300 years. Right, yeah. <laughs> He's like, you're going to pass that old uh, uh, Willer Vale over there. Didn't that city get destroyed like a thousand years ago? Right. <laughs> I think that it adds a, a, an interesting mechanic. Um, obviously, for a, a, a player, you could you definitely would be able to have to treat every all the other players a little bit differently because, right. especially if you're the old one and you got some young twenty something year old human trying to give you instructions and be like, "Listen here, mm -hmm. you don't tell me what to do." Right. <laughs> I was around long before you were sucking on your mama's titty, you know? Right. <laughs> Something along those yeah. lines. So there it is. There's our character concept. Yes. How about our encounter? Yeah. Um, our encounter of the podcast. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Again, this one was also created by or thought up by Justin. I think you've actually used this one. I have. I really yeah. like this one. Um, And it's an assassin that 
you know, runs on the walls. Instead of running on the ground, he's on the wall. Yeah, um, so this encounter, uh, mostly you want to put it where it's a timed event. Maybe the... Maybe the players are in uh, a city. Maybe they're visiting and there's a festival and this assassin is on the loose. Word gets to him some way, shape, or form. But when they finally discover a hall full of dead corpses and they see this assassin running along the ceiling, it creates an interesting combat mechanic. Now, what I did is I had imposed disadvantage on all the players who are trying to fight him while he's on the wall or the ceiling because... To me, they didn't don't have the experience to engage a combat uh, an enemy who's fighting like that. It's right. not a traditional combat style. Right, you're swinging at someone that's just at a different angle. Right, yeah. which definitely would change. So I represented that difficulty by imposing disadvantage. What it forced the players to do was come up with a way to ground him. So instead of thinking I'm going to charge in, they had to, they were throwing spears at him. They were doing all these things. Wizard decided to use grease, and that slipped him up, and he fell to the ground. Uh, what else made him interesting is he had um, uh, the catapult ability. So he could touch something and launch it across the room. Right. So as he's running away, he would be touching things that are on the walls, and picture frames, and back. they start, and they're flying back like a, a fly, a flying through a spaceship debris field, you know. Right. They're, they're constantly having to dodge. So it turned it into not just an interesting combat mechanic, but an interesting chase mechanic. Right. Um, and it forced, it got them out of their comfort zone of the traditional run up and tack and stand there and do nothing. Instead, they're trying to chase this guy because all he doesn't, he's not after them. He doesn't care about them. His goal is not to engage the players. It's to find this king, this duke, this queen, whatever target he has, mm -hmm. and to take them out and get out of there. Right. Well, yeah, I think that's a really cool, a really good idea because I do like the you know the time event thing. It does add that you know possibility of failure. And so then, what happens if they fail? You know, oh, if definitely. he gets there and he kills the king, and now the city is just thrown into disarray. Right. Well, what are the, what are the far short and far reaching consequences right. of that happening? You know, what do they immediately have to deal with? And then how is that going to change their campaign in the, in, in the end game? Yeah. Well, what if it's worse than that? What if they're the ones chasing them and they're the only ones left alive and they're in the throne room with the King right. or yeah. queen when they're dead. So now, Oh, you guys killed them, right? Right. Yeah, the guards can, what happened here? Right, and, and now you're now into a social interaction that is no longer combat ba combat driven um, scenario, but an role yeah, it's an yeah. it's an interrogation now. Now the players have to a defend themselves from being attacked, which is you know depending on how the DM does it, uh, it might be more combat oriented, or maybe they lock them up and give them a trial, which by right. the way is a whole fun kind of right. especially because yeah like are you in a city where you are known as heroes and you guys have been recognized in the city and everyone knows who you are or are you in just some random city that you were did you follow this guy to this city and no one knows you here you're just these random group of adventurers that showed right. up and then all the stuff started going wrong right so now they're the king gonna, might be dead yeah yeah, you show up, things start going wrong, and now the king's dead. Are they really going to believe you that there was some guy running on the wall? Right. So, Or better yet, maybe it's the other way. Maybe the king is there, he sees you, you save him, and now you become heroes of this town, and maybe they right. start giving you free land as a reward yeah. or, or a, a, a new home, or you're always welcome here. And that is a really interesting thing is, you know, having, you know, if a, a party does something, like, great in the in this kingdom or something, and... You reward them with land. You know, you have the. Um, it doesn't have to be gold, right? Right. You know, have other the, things of value. the king contracts them or builds them a keep. 
There you and, go. And you know, now they have a like a base and like a like a base of operations where they can go to they can store all their stuff, you know, they can work out of and that creates a whole new mechanic as to how you play the game. Yeah, and how you play your characters. So now that maybe that becomes their new home base. Right. And exactly. And they become the defenders of this the city and you know they all their they start up like a hero change board where they're starting to uh, right. recruit. Yeah, recruit yeah. helpers and stuff. You know, there's there's so much you can do with just a simple encounter. The idea of uh, a, a unique assassin with unique abilities, not just the traditional rogue type builds, um, adds a level of gameplay that is really enjoyable. For sure, uh, I know my players loved it, and I I, I I hope that others would. Moving on to our next tip, we have the dungeon master's tip. I'm a big fan of movies. I love movies, and I love when Luke Skywalker is locked into a saber battle with Vader and they're carrying on a conversation. The current rules don't really allow for that. Right. So something that I've done in my game and I really liked is I put at the end of combat, I put a free speech part at the end of the initiative because I wanted to encourage my players to talk during combat. Right. But not just strategize. Yeah, and, not yeah. just against the enemies though, but as a team as a whole. Hey, you warrior, you go around and uh, attack them from behind um, while I've got them distracted. Right. Or maybe, hey, you archer, go up onto that hill and shoot from there, and maybe you'll get it. You know, you'll get better uh, view from there. I found that when I early on when I first did this or before I did this, there wasn't a lot of that going on. Once I added to the end, I found that the players started talking. And actually, you're one of the players, so what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think it it is, you know, depending on the DM, some DMs are very very strict on the, you know, each combat round is six seconds. Right. You know, because in six seconds, you can only, you know, if you're in the middle of trying to do something, you know, you're like, okay, I want to run up to this guy and take two swings at him with my sword. And then I want to yell to, you know, the paladin to, hey, or, you know, the cleric, hey, I need some healing. Do you really have time in six seconds to do all that? Right. So, yeah, the free speech phase allows for a little extra flexibility there to allow the players to talk to each other because I think that is something that's kind of lost in the rules. And some DMs are more lenient on letting people talk. Right, right. And, and you know, so, it, is a, it is a choice of the yeah, DM Yeah, that can, that. you know, that can replace the free speech phase. Just let them talk during the rounds and give them extra Right, time. and actually, we've we've discussed that where we would let them have those options. Right. Um, but originally, but, and I think we're to that point now where we yeah. don't really need it because they will automatically say, hey, I'll distract them while you stab right. them in the ass. But yeah, because some, some players are very... And it's almost like a, a respect thing for the person who's taking their turn to just not talk. Yep, know, let yep. them take their turn. And so not a lot of talking gets done. People talk on their turn, and that's it. So the free speech phase encourages people to speak their mind. Um, and then uh, for our magic item of the podcast is actually something we just encountered in our game and justin this is from the mind of justin and my character actually received it actually it's not from the mind of me you gave me the idea yeah i did um and i got the it's it's funny because i it's an idea i got from the dmg that i then conveyed to justin and he tweaked it so in the dmg there's an item called the belt of returning i think it's called basically you can like attune your sort your daggers to it and when you throw them they reappear on your belt well, I was talking about that because as a rogue, you know, I like to throw my daggers, but then you get into that thing of, well, how did you get it back? <laughs> and so, oh, I missed. I gotta go and pick it up. <laughs> I missed. I gotta run 20 feet past this guy to go pick it up. Um, so, Justin created this item of these daggers that are kind of curved. And when I throw them, they boomerang and they come back to me. Kind of solves that problem. 
and I it's just really creative because it gives me more freedom to do the things I want to do as a as a character, and it also allows for a lot of flavor things. You know, if I want to, I did the other last week. I was I said, okay, so can I throw my dagger off in the distance, and then I'm gonna attack him with the dagger in my left hand. And then I want the dagger on the right that I threw to hit him on the way back, and I'll catch it. <laughs> and I didn't get any extra damage for it or anything, but it was just a cool thing that I and wanted to I'm do. I'm sure everyone's going to remember that because it was freaking sweet. I mean, right? And I kind of, I kind of pictured it as the, you know, the guy throws something in the air and like draws his gun and shoots a bunch of stuff and then catches it. Right. Like that's what I figured. That's what I pictured it as. I throw my dagger and I do my attack and do my turn, and then I catch the dagger in my hand, like. Oh, I did all that in the time it took me to throw this dagger. Right, and so it just allows for a lot of cool stuff like that, and it makes the game more engaging. So the yes. boomerang daggers, um, is our magic item. Our player tip: Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick, and you cannot be a dick by doing stuff. What kind of stuff is that, Ryan? <laughs> um, just keep in mind what your character's goal is. Is the main thing. Um, so you know if you are trying to find information on some guy and you're trying well, you're trying to find someone you don't know who it is you don't know their name you don't know anything about them but you know they were in this city and that they were last seen at the barge right in and <laughs> see what you did there yeah <laughs> and so you go to the inn and you start talking around and you know you have this mysterious guy but then you get distracted by you know a prostitute in the corner and then, so a big burly dwarven prostitute, yeah, right? Yeah. Big beard. Hold on. And so then you know, so you go through that, and that's fun, and that's so, fine to do for a while. But then you come back the next day, and you're like, oh, I want to go shopping. And then you go shopping, and then something else happens. Something else happens. Well, at, you're losing sight of what your character's goal is. Would your character really just kind of put the fact they were looking for someone on the wayside like that. Right, right. It's a sense of urgency. You right. know, one thing that happens a lot that I've noticed as a DM is that people forget what they're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, this kind of harkens back to write shit down. Constantly asking yourself, okay, what is my goal? What do I know right now? What is it I need need to know? How would my character react to the situation? You know, simply asking questions to uh, NPCs. If you're looking for somebody... And the DM says, oh, uh, you know, okay, so this Lord says, I need you to go find uh, Jim Joe, you know, and you go out and That's say. That's the name you came up with? It's the best I got, man. Jim Joe? Hanging out with you too much. <laughs> uh, you rush outside. Okay, where do I start? Well, you probably have to ask around about describing this person and uh, talking at t local taverns is really good. Tell your DM what you want to do and how you want to figure it out. Right. Don't wait for him to him or her to tell you. Yeah, I go find out. Like, that's not that's right. not good enough. How do you find out? Well, I'm gonna go to the local tavern, or I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go. You know what? I want to go see a. Play. But even saying like I go ask around. Well, who do you ask, and what do you ask them? Right. So by... yeah, try to instead of saying yeah, I'm gonna go ask around. Say okay, well, I'm gonna go to you know the bazaar in the middle of town. I'm gonna find some kind of shady looking merchant. Yeah, there's and someone yeah. who you know is kind of like looks like they kind of have like a connection to the underground. I'm gonna go up to him and I'm gonna talk to him. And then you can start a conversation with your D or through your DM with that character. Right, and that and a lot of people I find that they will wait for the DM to tell them where to go, and exactly. you don't you don't have to do that. Think about your questions. You know what is it the the who, why, what, when, and where. You know, asking yourself those questions and then asking them to the party or to the DM will help you narrow your scope and find what it is you're looking for. Don't wait for your DM to tell you what you got to do. Go out and do it yourself. 
Right. Be that. Be active. That's it's yes. what the game's about. Role play. Hey, I'm looking for Jim Joe. Have you seen him? Uh, yeah, he was here last week. Okay. You know which way? Does he come here often? Yeah, once a week. You know, ask those questions. Figure those things out because one thing that can hold a game up more is when the DM says, "All right, what do you want to do?" And you guys hear crickets. Right. Because nobody speaks up. Looks at each other and gets all awkward. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, and then not only is it important to remember what your goal is, but remember what your character knows. You know, if you yes. learn information, that, like, and that's why all the like uh, this keeps coming back to take notes. You know, if you learn something important, just write it down. You know, just get it. Go buy a fifty cent notebook from you know Walmart and bring that to your D and D games. And when you learn something, just write. Do it down. not steal paper from your DM because we don't like or, that. You know, even if you have a tablet and you just have a notepad on it and you just oh, take yeah, notes on that. Notepad. There are plenty of ways to do it. Yeah, if you want to take notes on the back of your character sheet, like I mean, that's not the best way to do it, but I right. mean, it's it's something. It's better than nothing. Yep. At least you always have it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, how would your character react to learning new information? You know, if your character Whoa. just found out that you know <laughs> your mother's dead, character's probably gonna be pretty beat up about that. Yeah, he's not gonna be like, well, I'll move on. It's not exactly. It's not it's... so. And obviously. No one expects you as a player to burst into tears and start crying. Right, right. But you but, could easily just say, you know, uh, Aridin just starts crying as he learns that his last living relative was slaughtered by another damn dragon. Right, yeah. Or <laughs> just convey the fact that, you know, next time when, you know, if right after that you're in a, you know, because my character, yeah, if you have a character that's very the mouthpiece of the group and you're very charismatic and you find out something like that, well, now you're not in a good spot to be charismatic and try to deal with people so right. then if a really big situation comes up you're just not a part of it and your group has to figure it out on yourself because your character is not mentally equipped to deal with that right now right definitely so that is our unearth tips and tricks of this episode thank you for listening please join us on our next episode where we hear feedback from you our heroes we will be discussing how the game is played and why the roll of the dice can lead to a complete and utter destruction i I think you meant to say how to play the game and how the dice bring tension, suspense, and luck to the game. Yeah, I guess. We hope you enjoyed your experience here at the Crit Academy. If you have any questions you want answered or subjects you'd like us to discuss, please leave us feedback at Facebook or Twitter at Crit Academy, or you can email us at critacademy at gmail.com. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your host, Ryan. Keep your blades sharp and your spells prepared, heroes.